So before we begin um, getting into the word, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord, Father in heaven, we come before you now in humbleness, in meekness, in, in love and in adoration, Lord, for the word that you've given us, for the holy scriptures that we hold in our hands, that our eyes see and that our ears hear, Lord. And so now as we gather together, speak to us now, Lord. Speak to us in a powerful way so that your word may be deeply ingrained into our hearts and into our minds, so that it moves us into action, so that we may be more united as a church. Lord, your, your word is so wonderful and so good, and it's healing and it's powerful, Lord. So now we ask that you fill this room with your spirit, Lord. Fill us all with your spirit so that we may hear from you now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to be again, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Last week we left, we, as I said, we read the first three verses. So we'll be picking up in verse 4 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4 and actually what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to read from the beginning and read from verse 1 to verse 9 and as I do I want you to imagine Paul writing this letter with just a huge smile on his face I think that as as I was studying reading it that's what I was imagining in my head this first part here his greeting and his thanksgiving I really believe Paul was just happy thinking about the Christians in Corinth. Again, starting from the top. Paul, called an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to, the, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with all those in every place who call in the name of Jesus Christ our, our Lord both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in Him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by Him into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now since we went over already the, the first three verses, uh, we're going to begin this week by unpacking this particular portion of Paul's letter where he states his thankfulness. Now he starts off by telling them because of the grace, oh he starts off by, I'm sorry, he starts off by telling them what um, and why he was thankful to God. He says again in verse, uh, what, in verse 4, because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus that you were enriched in him in every way in all speech and all knowledge. 
Now, last week we talked a little bit about God's grace. And I mentioned that grace is a free and unmerited love and favor of God that he gives to those who place their faith and trust in Jesus. So what Paul is saying here is that through Christ, God has supplied you with all kinds of spiritual gifts that you can't even begin to imagine. Think of it this way. Now, I'm not going to ask you personally, but think of your own personal bank account and what's in that bank account, whether it's just pennies or whether it's thousands of dollars or millions of dollars. Again, I'm not going to get into your you know, financial business. But what would your reaction be if you found out that in that bank, there's a safe deposit box under your name containing a million dollars? My guess is that most of you would walk into that bank, show them your ID, and deposit that money into, or take that money out of the safe deposit box and deposit it into your bank account so that you can begin using it. Well, in Christ, there is a safe deposit box containing gifts meant for you so that you can use them for God's glory. These spiritual gifts, keep in mind, are not based on what we do and how we're doing it, but solely based on, on what God wants to do in us and through us. And as God enrich, enriches you with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you'll also begin to be enriched outwardly and inwardly. The outward enrichment is, is expressed or will be expressed by the way you speak and by the way you act. Inwardly, you'll be enriched with a fuller knowledge of God that will change the way you think about others and how you see the world around you. Paul then says in verses 6 and 7, In this way the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not only thankful, was, was not only thankful for the grace of God that was shown to the Corinthians church, but he was also letting them know that the church itself was a testimony or had become a testimony that it lacked no spiritual gift. Try to imagine for a minute a church or what this church would look like if it was filled with people having the spiritual gifts mentioned in Romans 12 verses 6 through 8 and 1 Peter 4 verses 10 through 11. The potential of what this church could do is astronomical. We can change, the church here can change, with God's help again, can change all of El Paso, possibly all of Texas. We can be a shining light throughout this whole country if all of us used the gifts that God has given us effectively and powerfully. Paul recognized this in the Corinthian church but unfortunately, he realized that they had the wrong attitudes and beliefs about these gifts. You see, it can be very easy to see someone 
that has been gifted by God with an amazing spiritual gift and believe that they're holier or that they live holier lives than others. For example, I used to think that those with the gift of healing or the gift of tongues or prophecy lived holier lives than I did. And maybe you have that concept as well. However, I learned over time that these gifts of the Spirit are not dependent upon our attaining a certain level of spirituality. They're, again, they're given to us. They're gifts to us. They're simply a matter of being recipients of God's grace. This means ministry and spiritual gifts are not based upon how we're doing it all, but again, solely upon what God wants to do in us and through us. Paul's intent was to address these misconceptions and to redirect their and back where it ought to be, back to God. He knows the Corinthian Christians had their strong points and they had their weak points. And like any good father would do, Paul praises God for their positive and for their positive and expresses confidence that God will take care of their weak points. So he essentially tells them, God has been good to you, Corinthian believers. He'll, he'll see you through. It's okay. I know he's going to see you through. And why do you think he's so confident in this? Well, he explains this in verses 8 through 9. There, Paul writes, he will, he will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by Him into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here Paul is saying that because they've trusted Christ and because God is confer has confirmed this fact by giving gifts um, or spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit, he was confident that God will keep them for himself until Jesus Christ comes back, until he returns for his people. Paul's optimism is based on the faithfulness of God who called them into fellowship with his son. Like Paul, we have to be aware that God has gone to, through, uh, gone to so, such tremendous cost to bring us into fellowship with his son. And he would never, because of this, he would never ever let us slip out of his hands. Now let me ask those of you who've, who have children, who've had children, who've been around children, small little children, I'm not talking about teenagers, but small little ones, and, and you've walked with them on a snowy and icy day. And you're either walking on a sidewalk or on the street, on the street. Let me ask you are, you, are they holding your hand or are you holding theirs? I think most of you would say that you're holding their hands. So in case they slipped, in case they fell, it wouldn't be a problem for you to hold on to them. See, as a believer, God is holding on to you in the same way and He will never let you go. Whatever kind of mess you're entangled in now, 
Paul is saying, you're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. Why? Because God is faithful. The words God spoke in Isaiah 41.10 are just as applicable to you as they were to the prophet. In that verse, God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. And in Psalm 121, 7 through 8, the psalmist wrote, The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. Can whatever problems or issues you're facing at the moment, important truths that ought to encourage you from this portion of Paul's letter, because of the grace God has given you in Jesus Christ, He has supplied you with all kinds of spiritual gifts. Don't allow the enemy to tell you that you're nothing because you are nothing. Or, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. Don't allow the enemy to tell you that you are nothing because you have nothing. When the truth is this, the truth is you are someone who has everything because you believed in someone that meant everything to God. Do you guys get that? Let me, let me repeat that because I know when, I, when it came to me, I, 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 I was like, wow, this is wonderful. When, okay, you are someone who has everything because you believed in someone that meant everything to God. Secondly, because of the grace God has given you in Jesus Christ, your life, is a your life is a confirmation of the truth of the gospel. When you heard the gospel and accepted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, God put His Spirit in you and you became born again. In that moment, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that you became a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has, and a new life has begun. It's this new life that, that He wants to transform, that God wants to transform into the likeness of His Son by coming into your heart, removing the junk and replacing it with Himself. He knows, God knows you're not perfect. And He knows that we're going to make mistakes. But when you fall, He will always be there to lift you up, dust you off, and encourage you to keep going. The more you grow as a Christian and use the gifts God has given you, the more you will find yourself having a joyful expectation of His return. Lastly, because of the grace God has given you in Jesus Christ, He will remain faithful. The promises He made still hold true because He does not change. 
And you can find that in Malachi 3.6. And we see this illustrated from a human perspective in a couple married for 80 years. When the wife lies on her deathbed, her husband sits nearby holding her hand. He won't leave her even though she no longer recognizes him. He is faithful to the promises he made to her. In the same way, God remains faithful to his promises, even though we are often unfaithful to him. When God calls you into the fellowship of his son, he'll remain faithful to fulfill his promise, to strengthen you to the end, and present you blameless before God Almighty. As soon as he's done telling them why he's th- what he's thankful for, Paul begins to address the problems that have been plaguing the Corinthian church. So let's pick up in verse 10. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you by my brothers and sisters it's been, I'm sorry, it's been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of, of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What, uh, what I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say that you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ, so that the Christ of, I'm sorry, the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Of all the issues he plans to address in, the, in this letter, he begins with confronting an issue that plagues most churches today, the problem of divisions. Paul begins with exhorting the Christians at Corinth to do these three things. Firstly, tells them that all of you agree in what you say or in other words that they speak in a way that lets others know that they are united and they're on the same page secondly that there be no divisions among you the greek word for divisions is schisma now if that word sounds familiar is because it's similar to our English word schism. So what Paul is saying here is that the, the Christians ought to avoid attitudes, words, and behaviors that will cause a split, a schism in the church. And thirdly, that you be united with the same understanding and the same convictions. And the same conviction. He is referring to a shared conviction about the certainty, about the centrality and importance 
of the gospel message. You see, in Paul's mind, this sensual conviction, the gospel was key to church unity. Charles Swindoll said this, Union has affiliation with others, but no common bond that makes them one heart, one in heart. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. Unanimity is complete agreement across the board. Unity, however, refer refers to a oneness of heart, a, sim a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on major points of doctrine. My hope as a pastor of this church, whether we just have five people or thousands of people, is that no matter where we are and what we're doing, that we remain united in our faith and convictions. You see, our foundation is and forever will be the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus Christ. I want everything that we do, everything that we do together as a church to be done in the name of Christ, that it be, be by and through the Holy Spirit, and that ultimately that we do these things, that we do it for the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, giving thanks to Father, I'm sorry, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Our theology will always derive from the entire Word of God, from the Scriptures. Everything we believe about God and the reasons we believe is found in the Scriptures. And if you wanted to know specifics, if you wanted to know what they are, I, you know, the, the specifics about why we do certain things and what we believe, on our website is our statement of faith and our vision statement. On there, we'll tell you exactly what we believe as a church. You see in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And as a church, we will continue to uphold the biblical style and traditions that have blessed the Calvary Chapel movement for almost 50 years. Anyone who one day desires to lead in some, compa uh, in some capacity here at Fresh Vision Church should familiarize themselves with the Calvary Chapel distinctives. Not that they're canon, or that they're law, and that we follow them to a T, but that you're familiar with how we do things here. And, and again, why we do things. It's a framework for the reasons we do certain things, and it's what unites us as a spirit-filled movement, as a 
just a bunch of churches. These things, again, the traditions and this, the, the things found in the Calvary distinctives, it's what makes us unique. What brings us together and what makes us unique. So I know that anytime I go to another Calvary chapel, I know what I'm going to find and I know what's going what's to be taught. It's going to be the Bible, the Word of God. I know what, essentially, what pretty much worship is going to be like. And I have a certain, um, I know what people, the people there, the, the people that truly worship there will be like. Paul, Paul then tells them of the reports made by Chloe's people, of the rivalries occurring in the church. According to these reports, the Christians at Corinth were in conflict with one another. With one another, as a result, they began to divide themselves into parties or cliques, with each party having its own leader. Didn't you hate that in high school? All those cliques, all those parties. I mean, all those par those those people that were just hanging out with that particular group. I know I hated it. And and you know what? Even at work. You may, you may agree with me that there's cliques and groups that you're an outsider to. Yeah, it's just, you know, and, and, and so Paul sees this, or he's heard that this is happening now in the church as well. Each party, each clique was having its own leader. There was, a, there was a, uh, the Paul party who declared, we are following in the footsteps of a man who founded our church, the Apostle Paul. We're the, we're the ones really right with God. There was the Apollos party, who declared, we are following in the footsteps of a man who is great in power and spiritual gifts, and an impressive man, right with God. There was the Peter party, or the Cephas party, who declared, we are following in the footsteps of the man who was first among the apostles. Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's our man. We're the ones who are really right with God. And then there was a Jesus party who declared, you are all so carnal, following after a mere man. We are following in the footsteps of no one less than Jesus himself. We're the ones really right with God. In an attempt to show them of the foolishness of, of their arguments about um, Paul, Peter, Apollos, who Paul personally knew and loved, he asked three simple questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? You see, he was trying to bring back to them a, a correct perspective and understanding of who they believed in and why they believed in him. When it comes to the church, the only name that matters above others is he who shed his blood for her and whose name we are baptized under. His name is Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. This poses an interesting question. 
Who are you following? Are you following a man or are you following Christ? Now, there's nothing wrong with being committed to a particular church or letting others know who your pastor is. However, if your loyalty to that church or that pastor exceeds your loyalty to Christ, then you may have to rethink your priorities. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with other Christians who speak more about their church or their pastor than Jesus Christ. Again, I hope that Fresh Vision Church is known for its unity, its service, its faithfulness to Christ than for, than for those teaching in this pulpit or leading in a particular ministry here. I want people to know that we are following Jesus Christ, that He is our Lord, that He is our Savior, that we follow no man, that we follow When John the Baptist was asked if it bothered him that people were coming to Jesus instead of him to be baptized, do you remember how he responded? This is, how, this is what he said in John 3, 27 and 30. No one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I've sent, but I've sent ahead of him, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He was like, no, don't pay attention to me. I'm nothing. Pay attention to the Messiah. Pay attention to Jesus. He's the one. He's the one I've been speaking about. I'm just happy that he's here now. If you want to abandon me and go follow him, go follow him. That's what, that's what this is all about. Follow him. I must increase, or I must decrease, and he must increase. Paul ends by informing them of the absurdity of these rivalries and reminds them of the calling God has placed in, in his life. Now, if Paul were speaking in our common language today, this is how verses 14 through 16 would sound. It would sound, yo, I, I'm glad I didn't baptize y'alls, except for both Crispus and Gaius. And oh yeah, I also baptized the houses of, of Stephanus or Stephanus' family. But besides that, I, I don't remember baptizing anyone else. You see, the point he was making here is that the person doing the baptizing baptizing was insignificant compared to the person whose name they were being baptized under. Paul then says that he wasn't called to baptize, but to preach the gospel simply and plainly so that people would embrace the cross on the basis of its own merit and not because of rhetorical cleverness or manipulative techniques. He understood that if it were done this way, the gospel of Jesus would be made empty and to no effect. Keep that in mind next time you want to tell someone about Jesus Christ. Tell them plainly. 
keep it simple and just allow the Holy Spirit to do his work. How often do you stop yourself from sharing the gospel because you don't want to sound dumb, because you don't want to sound unintelligent, because you think it's just way too out of your league or it's above your pay grade and it's just too much? Well, the truth is, when it comes to the gospel, simple is better and less is more. Let me, let me show you how simple the gospel message is. God sent his son Jesus Cross to I'm sorry, Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And after three days he rose again. God offers his free repents of their sins, believes in his son, and accepts him into their heart. That's it. Now I don't know if you counted more, but I, I wrote down, it was just two sentences. Two sentences, and I gave you the gospel message. Now, there may be some, you may have heard it in some long the, theological essay and what you know, the gospel is all about, but that's fine for them, and maybe you know, it, other intellectuals can, can understand that. But the gospel was just meant to be easily understood, very simple. And that's how God works. He doesn't want to make things complicated for you. He wants to just, he wants you to understand plainly just who he is and what he did for you and how much he loves you. He's not a complicated God. You see, it's not the message that's complicated. It's we who complicate it. You don't have to use fancy theological words or come up with manipulative te techniques. You don't have to convince them. You don't have to sit down and for hours and hours and, and, and just try to, you know, figure out ways, the way you talk, the way you speak, the way you act to, to convince them. No, just tell them plainly. Just, just um, preach, present the gospel simply and plainly and just allow God to do the work. Because what are you doing? All you're doing is just planting a seed. And it's God who's watering it. It's God who's making it grow. You don't have to do all the fancy stuff. Just tell people what Christ, what Jesus Christ came here to do and what he did for them. It's clear from the passages I shared with you this morning that Paul thought highly of the Corinthians church. He understood the potential they had as a unified church to change the world around them and thank God for the grace he had given them in Christ Jesus. However, the quarreling had created divisions which were threatening to break the church apart. And so he had to tell them to cut it out. He had to begin to write, he had to write this letter to tell him, you know, stop it guys, cut it out. And he had to redirect them back to the cross. And so maybe this is a message God is speaking to you today. Maybe he's speaking this to your heart today. There may be some of you who can remember the days that God used you in a mighty way, but for some reason or another, it's not like that right now. 
you feel useless, alone, and empty. If this is you, then come back to the cross and lay those burdens at the feet of Jesus. Just give it to him and say, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on right now, but just I, I, I give this to you and, and give me that joy again. Give me that, you know, use me again in a mighty way. Help me to see where I've fallen short or where I've messed up that's caused me to be in this place now. Ask him and he will reveal it to you. There may, there may also be some of you who have been disappointed or hurt by other churches and leaders you've admired. If this is you, redirect your focus from a horizontal perspective to a vertical perspective and give God the praise and honor and loyalty He rightly deserves. Maybe he's trying to tell you, you know what? The problem is that you were paying too much attention to that person or that church or, and, and you weren't paying enough attention, you know, attention to me. You weren't giving me the honor and glory that I deserved. And so the moment you were hurt by that church or by that person, it really crushed you. And that's what I mean. God is not telling, telling you, just look to me. Look to me. Like, I... I I'm not perfect. I know that, you know, I'm still a sinner. I'm sinner saved by grace. And there may be times that, you know, I, I, I'm going to hurt you. I know I hurt my wife some, usually once or twice during the week, you know, but I still love her. I still love you guys, you know. It's just I, you know, but see, the thing is, if your focus is on Him, you'll understand that, you know, if, if I say something hurtful that it's not because I'm doing it on purpose. You know, there's something else going on. So that's why it's important to look, to look to Him, look to Jesus, look to God. And give Him, again, the honor and, and loyalty He deserves. And if you're thinking that, this, that the message of the gospel is beyond your ability to explain, to explain, let me tell you that it's not. You be faithful by presenting the gospel with the abilities He has given you. And then stand back and allow, and allow God to do the work. You've heard me say this before, but I'm not the best speaker. I try to have sometimes have a serious conversation with my family and I lose my train of thought or, you know, I, you know put me in front of a bunch of people without notes and... All you're going to hear is mumbling and talking and going off into different directions. You know, I need my notes. I need a clear outline because I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the best talker. And you may not be either. But you know what? If you can, whatever works for you, if it's memorizing something like the two sentences I gave you or, you know, or just coming up with your own way, your own style of presenting the gospel, if it's singing it to them, if it's rapping it to them or whatever, writing them a note, just, you know, do it whatever way, you, you know, the abilities is given you. And just, again, stand back and just watch them. Watch them do the work. But it also takes patience. I've been praying for a lot of family members 
And maybe you have too for a long, long time. But again, I'm standing back and just waiting. Just waiting for him to do the work. And finally, there may be some listening or watching who are broken and lost and realize that you've reached a dead end. You've tried everything that the world has to offer to heal your brokenness or to heal that brokenness that's inside of you, but nothing has worked. You've tried women, you've tried drugs, you've tried alcohol, you've tried other religions, you've tried all those things, but nothing has filled you or has filled that hole that's inside of you. Well, let me tell you from personal experience that I understand because I tried it all too. I tried all those that hole that was in my heart, but nothing worked. I was at the end of my rope and I had no hope until suddenly a message I heard a million times before finally made sense to me and it rescued me. It was the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And if I'm describing your current situation, I invite you to come to the cross of Jesus Christ, that he may heal you from the pain that you feel inside. God is faithful and he will do it. Jesus died to give you life and heal you from the pain that's caused by sin. He suffered so that you wouldn't have to. And if that's you and you're ready to make that commitment to Jesus Christ, I want to lead you in a prayer to accept Him into your life, to accept Him into your heart. If that's you, if you're, you're in that same place at the end of your rope, and you have nowhere else to turn, and Jesus is right there, and you're ready, you're like, okay, I, I, I need to give Jesus an opportunity, I need to give him a shot. I'm telling you, you're not gonna be disappointed. He's gonna rescue you. He's gonna save you. He's gonna, it, it's gonna, it's gonna be a process. I'm not saying all your problems are gonna go away. But again, he will start to reveal things to you. He will give you a joy that you've never had before. You will start recognizing those sinful behaviors that got you in that place in the first place. But again, he's, He'll be working in you and through you and He will love you and care for you. And there is nothing, and you'll realize that there's nothing else that you've done, that you've tried, that will ever be as good as Him, that will ever be as good as His love. So if that's you, and you're ready to make that commitment, then receive Him into your heart with all sincerity and from the bottom of your heart. Just pray this wherever you're at. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner and that I've messed up. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. 
I believe he is Lord. I accept your forgiveness. So now fill me, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Change my life, change my heart, change my the way I see the world. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've prayed that, let us know. Contact us. You know, I mean, we want to hear you know, from you. But if not us, then somebody. Go with, just reach out to somebody that, that you know. Everybody's got to know some Christian that, that you thought was crazy and was, you know, out of their minds. You know, it will help you and, and direct you on what to do next. But again, this is a new life and you want to get fed. You want to be nourished. Don't ignore, again, what God is has done in your life. Let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for your deep, convicting word. You've all, you've told us, you've told us all, Lord, something that we needed to hear, something that we needed to know. And so now, Lord, I, I ask that we accept it and that we chew on it, that we sit on it, Lord, and, and, and allow it to just penetrate us, Lord, and to allow it to just grow deep within us. Those of us that are dealing with pain, Lord, heal us. Fill us with your love, Lord. We need it. But I pray that we be united as a church, that we always have the same mind, the same spirit, same convictions, Lord. You keep away anyone that is trying to will try to come and bring divisions, Lord, that will just come and try to split us apart, Lord. Protect us from, from the wolves that are out there trying to come in. Help us to follow you, Lord. Help us to be your representatives here, wherever we're at, Lord. May we honor you with all we do and all we say. Bless us next time, Lord. Bless this week. Bless everyone here, their family, their friends, Lord, wherever they're at. Keep them safe. We look forward to your coming. We look forward to your appearing. We glorify you. We magnify you. We do, we pray all these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.